Welcome back, everyone. Today on The Joseph Carlson Show, Costco raised their dividend by 13%. They also tend to pay a special dividend. We're going to be going over when I believe they'll pay their next special dividend. Apple launched a savings account with an interest rate that's a staggering 4.15%. And this is overall part of Apple's grand scheme to be the best fintech company in the world to lock you into their ecosystem of products. And we're gonna be reviewing how this new savings account fits into their plan. Now on the subject of Apple, we also have a report from the Wall Street Journal that's on the front page that describes Apple as a bully of a competitor that they're unscrupulous, that they crush and destroy other smaller companies. They say that it, quote, is the kiss of death to other companies. We're gonna be jumping into this article and going over the examples of how big and bad of a company Apple is. And then finally, we have Tesla and their Q1 2023 earnings that were just released. Right now, the company's trading down 7%, but at the Joseph Carlson Show, we don't like to look at the percentage a company's trading down and make big assumptions on that. A lot of times investors get their initial reactions wrong. So instead of doing that, I wanna review the earnings from the most unbiased perspective possible. So as always, we have a lot to get into. Now, before we jump in, just a quick shout out for Qualtrum. The website that you're looking at here with all the visuals, with all the charts, this is something that I've personally built. I've worked with different coworkers in development to build a visual representation of the economics of a business. And I think it does a really good job. I would recommend trying it out. If you haven't already, you can try it out for free by visiting the Patreon. Now let's go ahead and jump right in. We'll start off with some of the news we have. We have a lot of news over the past week. And one of them is that one of the companies in my portfolio just recently raised their dividend, which is Costco. I own Costco as a relatively large position. It's one of my core nine positions in my portfolio with a current value of $43,800. And the gains right now are around $7,000. So this one has been a very good performing holding. If you haven't kept track, the tally is that Costco is up in capital appreciation by 160% over the past five years. It is a high quality compounder that continually grows earnings, grows its free cash flow, opens up new warehouses, it grows its membership base all at the same time. I love Costco. I think it is one of the best companies in existence. And by that, I mean that it makes almost everyone happy. It makes customers happy. It makes the employees happy. It makes the local and federal government happy as well. Costco is one of the few companies that everyone in the entire life cycle of Costco, overall, they're pretty happy. And at the same time, it gives very good returns to the investor. Now, the latest news is with Costco that they just recently announced a dividend raise. It was by 13%. And this was widely predictable because Costco is one of the most predictable companies you can have. If we look at the 13% raise and we compare that against their history, over the past decade, the average compound annual growth rate of the quarterly dividend of Costco is 12.59%. So 12.59% is the average over the past decade, and they just raised it by 13%, keeping right along with their historical average. So this is right on track. I think investors should be happy with the dividend raise. There's nothing unusual about it. But there's also, as you can see, these large bars throughout Costco's history, where all of a sudden the dividend spikes to almost 10 times as much. The most recent one there in 2020 was a $10 dividend. This is called a special dividend. This means that every once in a while, Costco decides that they have too much cash. 
too much cash. They don't know what to do with it all. They don't want to just store it because they're not using it wisely if they just hold it in a savings account. And they decide that they have way more than they need even to keep the company safe. So they decide to return that money back to the investor through dividend distribution. Now, the big question is, when are they going to be doing another one of these special dividends? Now, in trying to predict when they'll pay their next special dividend, I think the best we can do is look at their history and see when they paid the previous ones. If I look at the historical balance sheet of the company, the S right here and the arrow marks the spot of when they paid their last special dividend. It was on that precise quarter. Now, the cash balance back then was just above $14 billion. It went from $14 billion to around $9 billion. So they paid out that big $10 per share special dividend. Their cash balance dropped as a result. Now, what we can observe is since then, their cash balance has been climbing close to where it was before. It's already, as of the previous quarter, very close back to that $14 billion mark. Not only has Costco's cash almost gone back up to where it was at $14 billion, but the amount of long-term debt they have has actually gone down. So we have a decrease in debt and the amount of cash going back up to where it was. Another way of saying this is Costco could pay another $10 per share special dividend anytime. They could announce one this year and they would be completely fine. It'd be just like they were back in 2020. They have the cash balance today to pay another special dividend, but they also could wait two or three quarters and pay a $15 per share special dividend if they chose to. Now, dividend or not, I'm excited about Costco and the future of the company. I continue to hold it and be extremely bullish on the company. I do believe it's going to outperform the market over the next 10 years. When I say that, a lot of people scoff at it. They say that I'm wrong, and I'm obviously wrong because the company trades at a higher P.E. ratio. Right now, Costco trades at a 33 Ford PE. So how can this company possibly outperform when it's trading at a higher PE ratio than the rest of the market? Well, let me tell you a little story here. Three years ago, I made a video and it is still live and public right on YouTube. You could find it by searching on YouTube and searching Joseph Carlson investing in Costco. This video was early 2019 and I called Costco the best business model ever. I went through why I think Costco is an indestructible company that can stand up against Amazon and Walmart, against the biggest competitors in the world, and continue to please members, grow revenue, and grow their membership across the globe. Now, in the comments of this video, where I go over Costco as an investment thesis, every single comment is virtually the same. They all say that Costco's a great company, Joseph, but it's overpriced. It's at a 33 Ford PE ratio. At the same time, back three years ago in 2019, Costco traded at the exact same multiple it does today, a 33 Ford PE. So the multiple is the same. The price for next year's earnings was the exact same. The company was still just as expensive as it is today. And every single comment in the video went over how expensive the company is. That everyone knows Costco's a great company, but it's simply too expensive. Since this video was posted, Costco's stock price is up 90% and the S&P 500 is up 45%. So it's over doubled the performance of SPY over the past three years. And that's with the company seemingly being more expensive than the market. So when people tell me that Costco is a great company, but it's overvalued, that is the same exact thing I've been hearing since the beginning of investing back in Costco. When I first bought shares all the way back in 2017, it was a great company, but overvalued at that time as well. And since 2017, 
Costco has returned 160% in capital appreciation. Now, moving on, we have to discuss another holding in my portfolio. This is another one that I've been bullish on for over five years. The company's obviously Apple. Now, granted, I am what they call an Apple fanboy. I'm not a fanatic of the company, but I really like the products and services they sell. I think that Apple's a great company. And Apple just released news. In fact, they didn't just release the news. They actually released the product. They surprise released a product, which is an Apple savings account linked to their MasterCard that has a 4.15% interest rate. Now, a 4.15% interest rate is not the absolute highest nosebleed interest rates that you can find in every bank everywhere, but it is very high. So you can find interest rates that are 4.5 and even ones that are are 4.7 with some crazy banks out there that are doing that. But these are very rare. Most banks, in fact, the major banks like JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Citibank, the big four, they have interest rates in savings accounts that are pathetic. They're completely pathetic savings rates. We're talking about savings rates that are 0.3%, not even half a percent interest rate. So when Apple releases a savings account, With the reach that Apple has, with over a billion installed devices, and they have a 4.15% interest rate, that should cause the banks a little bit of concern. And this is something that I've believed for a long period of time. Apple will continue to take market share from other fintech companies and other banks. Apple is currently, today, the best fintech company in the world. And I believe they are by a wide margin. This is something that I've said for a long period of time. I have receipts here. This is from 2022. Apple is the best fintech company and it's not even close. People ask me, Joseph, what is your favorite fintech company? I answer Apple. Apple has the Apple card, the wallet, the credit card, instant transfer of cash, buy now and pay later. And this was before they came out with a 4.15% interest rate savings account. Now that they've added that to their arsenal of fintech products, Apple has continued in its lead of being the best fintech company. Now, how does this new savings account work? It's part of the Apple wallet under the MasterCard. So Apple's been in the credit card game for a while. They partnered with Goldman Sachs to offer a MasterCard. And underneath that card, there's a new little button that will say to open up a savings account. So users, when they're already in the ecosystem using the card, they will be prompted and they can open up the savings account with a couple clicks. Apple is advertising the savings account as a interest rate that is more than 10 times the national average with no fees, no minimum deposits, and no minimum balance requirements. So they're not doing anything to nickel and dime customers or to make it difficult. Apple wants to make this as easy as possible for their users to open up a savings account. Now, Apple go on explaining that they're doing this for humanity and for the good of the world. They want people to earn more money. But the truth is, this fits in really well with Apple's master plan. Part of Apple's moat is wrapping everyone into services that makes it more difficult to leave the iPhone ecosystem. For example, if you're just using an iPhone to message people and call people, and you don't use any of the services on the phone, it is very easy to switch over to a competitive phone like the Android. You could do that in one day. But if you have all of your finances, like your credit card and your savings account already linked to the iPhone, 
you can't simply switch over to another device. You'd have no way to be able to manage and access your financial information. So what Apple's doing is making it so that their walled garden, their barriers to entry, and the switching costs for individual users is all much higher. This puts more pressure on competitors. Every single user that simply signs up for the savings account for the great yield, believing it's a benefit to them, are unwittingly wrapping themselves further and further into the Apple ecosystem, making it even more of a struggle if they ever decided they want to leave. The biggest part of what makes me so comfortable holding a lot of Apple stock, and the reason that I've held this company for a long period of time, is I decided long ago, around four or five years ago, that Apple is far more than a phone company. It is a company that has a massive ecosystem, an ecosystem of products and services that combine together to make it very, very difficult for the user to leave. And I think that these iterative products that they keep coming out with, all of these services, it's only compounding their already gargantuan advantage over other companies. So as of right now, Apple's going to remain a very large holding for me. I don't see any reason to sell this company currently. Now on the subject of Apple, there is a report from the Wall Street Journal today that does not paint Apple in a good light, not at all. It talks about Apple giving the kiss of death to other companies. Let me go ahead and just highlight a couple examples here from this write-up. They say, it sounded like a dream partnership with Apple. They reached out to Joe Caney, the founder of a company that makes blood oxygen measurement devices. He figured his technology was a perfect fit for the Apple Watch. Soon after meeting him, Apple began hiring employees from his company, Massimo Corp, including engineers and its chief medical officer. And then in 2019, Apple published patents under the name of a former Massimo engineer for sensors similar to the ones that they had worked on at that company. The following year, Apple launched a watch that could measure blood oxygen levels. So this is the story. Apple contacts this smaller company. They express interest in working with a company only to hire away all of their key engineers for double the salary. And then they patent and launch products using a lot of the, the know-how, at least the technology that they were working on at the previous company. That is a bully tactic. That is a brutal course of events. He says, quote, when Apple takes an interest in a company, it's the kiss of death. First, you get all excited. Then you realize that the long-term plan is to do it for themselves and take it all. Now, studying Apple, this is not a surprise. I, I would realize that beforehand because Apple doesn't really do any add-on businesses. They don't tack things to their business. They buy up talent and they build it out themselves. That way they have a, a bit better of an ecosystem than a lot of companies that have a lot of add-on acquisitions. But this is very sad. I, I do feel bad for people that have this happen to their business. Companies coming in that are much bigger, much more powerful, and have deeper wallets that express interest only to take what they're working on. That is a really brutal, bleak, and dark part about capitalism. What this reminds me of is a Silicon Valley scene. Silicon Valley is a show that mocks a lot of tech culture, and they specifically mocked this type of thing happening. Companies faking interest in a product or service only so that they can replicate and build things that they learn from their pitch. Of course they're interested because they want to steal it. This is a classic brain rape. What? We did it at Huli all the time. We'd schedule meetings with companies so they'd explain their technology, then we'd use their ideas in our products. Like what happened to Yelp? Yes. Big companies schedule meetings, they express interest, when in reality, they just want to take it all for themselves. This is what Apple's being accused of. 
This comes across like Apple is deceiving other companies, intentionally deceiving them and being dishonest with their intentions in order to illegally obtain information from those companies. That's what it's being portrayed here as. But Apple has a completely different defense here. They have a total 180 on this. They say Apple said that it does not steal technology and that it respects the intellectual property of other companies. It said that Massimo and other companies cited in this article are copying Apple and that it would fight the claims in court. So not only are they saying, look, we don't steal this info, but you guys are stealing from us. Now, there's different takeaways from this, and I think this is where you get into the category of the law and what's actually ethical. In my opinion, I don't believe it's ethical to portray yourself as having genuine interest in working with a company to obtain information to steal their ideas. Even though that might not necessarily be legal, I think it's unethical. I don't think businesses should operate that way, including Apple. Now, I don't know if they are. A lot of times articles like this are very narrative driven and they don't paint the full picture. But if Apple is operating in this way, I think they should be held accountable. I think these companies should sue Apple. And I say that as an Apple shareholder. They shouldn't be falsely portraying their intentions to gather information from other companies. Having said that again, I don't know the real story here. We could be hearing one side of the story and not really get Apple's full take on it. So I assume a lot more information is going to come out when this type of stuff hits the courtrooms. But that's what we know right now. Apple is a bully like many of these other big companies. That's a part of capitalism. It is brutal. Now, next up, we have Tesla. This is a company that's struggling today. A lot of Tesla investors are trying to make sense of the recent earnings and what's going on with the company. Right now, it's traded down 8.53%, which is a decent size drop, even for the volatile company that Tesla is. An 8.5% drop is meaningful. Now, before I even start off with my opinions on Tesla, let me first say that I don't own the stock. I've owned Tesla in the past. I think it's a wonderful company. I really do like Tesla as a company. I'm rooting for Tesla. I'm an American. I want Tesla to be a successful company. I would like it so that at least one car company in the US is really competitive with the rest of the world. Because so far, Ford and GM really don't compete that well with Volkswagen, with Toyota, with BMW, and Kia. Up until Tesla, the rest of the world was really beating the US in car companies. And then Tesla really comes out of nowhere and they're this EV company that changes the world. So I'm rooting for Tesla. I hope the company does well. I hope its operations improve over time. But having said that, we are investors. And as much as I'd like to just invest in every company that I'm rooting for, I have to invest in companies that I also think I'm going to make a lot of money on based on the stock price and the future potential. The reason that I have not invested in Tesla in the portfolio, the passive income portfolio, or the story fund right now is because not only does a company not pay a dividend, that's not really the biggest part of it. The big reason why is some fundamental issues with the company. The first fundamental issue with Tesla is that it is a car company. Now, a lot of people have said, well, Joseph, you don't like to invest in hardware companies. Tesla is a hardware company, but so is Apple. That is true. The reason that I make an exception for Apple, the reason that I invest in this company is because of the various features and services they offer beyond just the iPhone. If Apple was just a phone manufacturer that sold a really nice phone, I would not invest in it. 
Like I went over in just the previous segment, Apple makes a variety of features. They are a healthcare company. They are a fintech company. They get consumers wrapped into their massive ecosystem that has very wide barriers to entry, where they can monetize the lifetime value of their users to a high degree. So Apple, in my opinion, is not just an iPhone company. It's a massive ecosystem company with very good economics. The problem I have with Tesla right now is that they do make most of their money, in fact, almost all of it, from vehicles, from selling their cars. That's the biggest problem I have with the company. They are starting to diversify some into energy specifically, and I see that as a very positive development. So maybe that can be something over time if they have a lot of their charging stations. But my original reason that I don't like investing in Tesla for long periods of time is because of the nature of the business. It's not anything specific to Tesla, but it's rather the category they operate in, which is cars. Car companies historically have horrible economics. They are amongst the worst companies right there next to airlines. We have the revenue of Ford, which has been flat for over two decades. We have the earnings per share of Ford, which is highly cyclical, it goes up and down, and you can never predict if they're going to make money or lose money. We have the returns on capital of Ford that are persistently low, and then we have the margins of Ford, which are very low as well. And Ford is not an outlier in this industry. You can look at all the same data with GM and every other car company looks relatively the same. The only car companies that really look different are high-end car companies that I don't really consider car companies as much as I do luxury collection items. Companies like Ferrari. Is Ferrari really selling a car or is it selling a luxury collection item? I think Ferrari is selling a status symbol that's a luxury item for very wealthy people. So Ferrari has much better economics. They have much higher returns on capital and much higher operating margins. But they are unique in that they operate with a limited amount of sales and they are not mass market. That's not the type of company they are. Every mass market car company has less than desirable operating metrics. And that's my overall concern. As Tesla moves down from being the highly priced unique Teslas that only really wealthy people have, to becoming lower priced mass market, my concern is that the margins and the economics of the business will follow into that mass market category that so many other car companies operate in. So having said that, let's go ahead and look at their recent earnings here. Here we have the main slide that has all of the financial information summarized, and I wanna point out a few things here. The first thing that I'll point out on Tesla's earnings are the revenue growth of the company. Top line growth is important, Year over year, they grew their top line by 18%, which is very fast, very fast growth, especially in this environment. Most big tech companies and most companies in general right now are struggling to grow by 9 to 10%, but Tesla's growing 18%. So in terms of top line revenue growth, I think this is the brightest part of Tesla's earnings report. And then outside of the top line revenue, which most of this is by selling cars, we have the other segments as well. The energy and storage revenue. This grew 148%. I like seeing that growth. And the service and other revenue grew 44%. Again, very positive. If I was a Tesla investor, and what I'm looking at with Tesla to see if this company can really morph into an Apple-like company, that has a hardware device they sell, but then incredible economics on top of that hardware device, you have to have these other lines of revenue continue growing rapidly for long stretches of time. So seeing this happen here is a very encouraging sign. Now moving on, we get to the most concerning part of this earnings report for Tesla, which is the margins of the company. 
The story of Tesla is that it's not a car company because it has higher margins. If you ask anybody that's a Tesla investor, is Tesla a car company? They'll say if it's just a car company, why are the margins so much higher than other car companies? Which is a good counter argument. The problem for Tesla is that the margins are declining. The adjusted EBITDA margin for Tesla went from in 2022, 26.8% to 22.4% to 23.2% to 22.2% to 18.3%. Tesla's margins have declined to the point where now, when you stack up their EBIT margin against what other companies are doing in the industry, it looks very in line. They have very similar margins to the rest of the auto industry. Now, this might be a temporary thing or a longer-term issue, but right now, this is a concern. Another thing that stuck out to me on Tesla's earnings report is, of course, the free cash flow line item. This is what I think is the most important financial metric of every company. Can they generate growing amounts of consistent free cash flow? Tesla's free cash flow last quarter was $441 million. Now, one quarter of free cash flow going down is not the biggest deal. They could have done some major investments. Maybe that ate up some of their cash flow. But if this continues on where the margins are going down and the free cash flow is going down, it's something to pay attention to. Another thing I think is worth pointing out is how much Tesla is currently benefiting from the government subsidized regulatory credits. Way down on page 23 of their earnings report, they have one line item called automotive regulatory credits. This shows the amount of millions that they've benefited every single quarter. Now keep in mind, this is government money that they're benefiting from. They have no control over this line item. This could go away at any point when we've largely switched over to EVs. So Tesla's benefiting to a huge extent by EV credits. And they actually made last quarter more in EV credits than they did in free cash flow. Meaning that if the government were to decide to take away the EV credits, Tesla would have had negative free cash flow last quarter. So in summary, the bright spot of this report is the top line growth in the automotive revenue, the energy generation, storage, and services. This is good. In isolation, this is the best part of the earnings report. The most troubling part by far is the margins because that damages the narrative and story of Tesla not being a normal car company. And then I also have some concerns about the sustainability of the free cash flow given how much they're currently benefiting from EV tax credits, which could go away at any moment. So that's just another little curveball. But overall, it's a mixed report. Now that's going to be it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. Follow me on Twitter as well. I'm going to be posting some of my full-length videos there as well. That's all for now. I'll see you in the next one.